Uh, Romans is where we're going to be at, and as you're turning there, go to chapter 8. Just a quick update, our sanctuary on the other side of the building is still going really, really well. Um, We're hoping to be in there in the next couple of weeks, so uh, before we promise we're going to be there, uh, we want uh, paint to be on the walls and all that good stuff, uh, and so we don't, you know, make a mistake on that. Uh, So we're patiently waiting, excited about that. Uh, Know that on Easter Sunday, that will for sure be a day that we are over there, and we will be going to one service at 10 a.m., so um, start preparing uh, yourself for that. Uh, Since you guys are the 11 o'clock service, you might want to start you know, waking up earlier and just kind of getting in that routine a little bit to kind of get yourself back in that uh, mode. Uh, but we're excited about that, excited about what God is, is, uh, is doing here at the church and uh, what he's going to continue to do. We were in a series entitled Call to Lead, and uh, we finished that last week, talking about the structure of our church and leadership and those kinds of things, what God is calling each of us to do or to serve in some area. And today we want to go back to a series that we started Uh, many weeks ago, and that is a series entitled For His Glory, uh, going through the entire book of Romans. Uh, One of my favorite, uh, one of my, or not one, the favorite book uh, that I have of of the Bible. I love it, and uh, excited to teach through it, excited about what God has been teaching us through it as well. And so we find ourselves in chapter 8 today. Uh, And as we're turning there and kind of getting ready, let me ask you a few questions. And as we kind of focus, all the songs we sang today are so, so perfect for uh, where we're going to be at in in God's Word. Because sometimes we uh, go to bed at night, and I don't know about you, but my mind wonders and I think all the time. And uh, a lot of times when I go to sleep at night, it's it's the moments uh, between when the light goes out to when I actually fall asleep that my mind races the most. And so uh, some of you have probably gone to bed at night and uh, you've, you've hit the lights, your head hits the pillow. And if you're going through a season of suffering, uh, a season of problems, a season of trials or testing, then it's in those moments in particular that the weight of the world, the weight of your problem seems to press in on you more so than any other time. Um, if you're like my wife, though, as soon as she goes to bed, as soon as her head hits the pillows, it's like a five-second deal, and she's out. You know, it's like we're having a conversation. Her head hits the pillow. I'm still talking. Next thing I know, she's in la-la land, and I'm talking to myself and the dog. So I don't know about you. It takes me a while to go to sleep, um, and, and those tend to be the, the, the times that I think the most, I guess. Maybe you walked in today and you're going through a time of suffering. You're going through a time of, of, of trial or, or of testing. There's, there's issues going on. There's, there's problems happening. You know, maybe you're a parent and, and uh, you've been dealing with the prodigal. And so you've been praying through and, and working through and begging God and, and all these things to bring your son or daughter back into a right relationship with you. Maybe it's a financial issue and that burden financially just seems like a you know, mountain of a problem in your life and you can't climb it, you can't get out of debt. That issue is just always before you and that, that season of testing, that season of struggle is just a reality for you today. And so what do we do with those? 
What do we do with these problems? What do we do with this suffering? And, and the, the verse that we're going to read today, it says that God works these things out for good. And, and the good Christian answer is, yes, God works these things out for good. Praise Jesus. And then we go home and it's like, I don't get it. I don't know what. And this doesn't make sense. And this is horrible. And I don't like it. And I'm mad at God. And I'm, I'm mad at church. I'm mad at everybody because this shouldn't be happening. And, and we ask questions and, there, and there, there's just tension there. And the tension really stretches us when we are familiar or maybe you've heard preaching or teaching or been a part of churches that that tend to say things like when you are in the center of God's will for your life. I mean, when you name it and and you step into whatever it is that God is calling you to do and you step into his will, then every door of opportunity is going to open up for you and you're going to be happy and and everything's going to be, you know, wonderful when you are in God's will. And the reason why you have problems today, the reason why you're suffering is because you're not in God's will. Well, that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, you just, just read the first few pages of the Bible and you're gonna see that being in or out of God's will does not determine whether or not you're happy or, or sad or you're going through a problem or not going through a problem. You see, God is in fact going to bless us, but sometimes blessing comes in way of the test. And that's where we want to be at today. Um, in Romans chapter 8, uh, it's been probably, man, it's such an awesome chapter. And um, it, it, it's such a powerful chapter. Before, before I read verse 28, um, I want to remind you where we, where we were before we, we got here. But in verse 17, he's telling us that, that we're going to be glorified with Christ if we suffer for him. So we talked about that, what that looks like, of uh, being glorified with Christ. And verse 18 says that the suffering of this present time is not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. So in other words, this, this season of testing that we go through during this lifetime is not even worth comparing to the, the awesomeness of our future uh, with Christ. And so we can't just have a, a present mindset. We've got to have a, a future mindset as well, what God is going to do and, and how we're going to be uh, given new bodies and, and overcome this pain in our life. Verse 20 says that creation is subjected to futility. And so creation, including you and I, have been subjected to this futility or this pointlessness in the world because of sin. And so because of sin, creation itself is groaning and moaning. And the way that creation groans and moans is in hurricanes, it's in natural disasters, it's in tornadoes, and all these things that we see. And it's like, why? There's a pointlessness, it's futility. It's not how God created the world. But because of sin, we have to endure it and experience it. He says in verse 21 that, that creation is in bondage to decay. So we, it's just going to continue uh, to unfold in this pattern until Christ returns. Verse 23 says that even spirit-filled Christians, you and I as committed Christians today, we're going to groan with fallen creation. And so we're, there's a groaning and moaning within us because of sin in the world. And, and there's, a, there's a time even in our life when we don't even know what to pray for because we don't know God's will. And he says in those moments, the Spirit knows the will of God. and He's praying for you with groans that are so painful, so deep, so incredible um, within us. Verse 30, uh, 24 says that we have been saved in hope. And so this is one of those things where it says, you know, our salvation, you know, is, is all about hope. And, and the, the tricky thing about hope is you can't pick it up and shake it. You can't taste it, you know. Hope is invisible. Our salvation, much of, of faith is, is invisible. 
And so we, we, we can't see it and put our arms around it, and it's in the future. And the Bible says, no wonder we groan, because we can't see and taste and touch and all these things. It's, it's, it, it, if we could, then it wouldn't be faith. If we could, then it wouldn't be hope. And then he says in verse 35, what we're going to see in the coming weeks, he says that there is going to be tribulation, there's going to be trials, there's distress, there's persecutions, there's famine in the world, there's nakedness in the world, there's danger in the world, world, uh, the sword uh, bringing danger into all these things. He says, yes, this world is filled with groaning and with opportunities for us to endure pain and suffering. And it's like, we know that, (laughs) we experience that, but in the midst of all of this, all this stuff is happening, he says, but this is the hope. This is the awesomeness of God that in this world where there's groaning, where there's suffering, where there's nakedness, where there's, where there's danger, where there's futility, where there's groaning, he says, at the same time, this God, so amazing that he takes all of this stuff, this negativity that is in this world, and through his strength and power and wisdom and sovereignty, he uses it for our good. Now, how in the world does he do that? And how does that play out in our life? Well, that's what I want to talk about this morning. Look at verse 28. He says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together. All things. Good things that happen? Yeah. So all the good things that happen in the world, he says, I'm going to use for your good. So having kids, getting married, having a good job, uh, all the things that you would say are good in this world. He says, I'm using all that good stuff for your good as well. I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 we get that. We know that. I can see how that works. Let's talk about the bad stuff. How does he use that stuff? And that's what I want to focus on today. For those, he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So next week, what I want to focus on is what does God's uh, foreknowledge mean? What does foreknow mean? What does predestined mean? And, and, and what is predestination? And how does that work into this larger, bigger picture that he discusses here? Today, I want to focus on verse 28. And the first thing that I want you to know is just really the main point of today's message. And the main point is this, that, that God uses our experiences, the experiences that we face in this life, God allows for our ultimate good. So that God will use every experience we face for our ultimate good. Now, this promise that he gives to us is conditioned. And and what are those conditions? Because at the end of the day, can everybody in here claim that promise? That God is going to work all of our experiences out for our good. And the reality is, no. The reason is because the promise that he gives that all things work for the good of those who love God come first and foremost by those who love God. So I would say that the promise is for those who first and foremost love God and secondly, those who are called according to his purpose. Now that might be everybody in this room. I pray that it is. But if you don't love God today, you can't claim this promise. 
If, you, if, if, if you've not given your life to Christ, then you can't claim this promise today because God works all things out uh, according to his plan for those who love him. Now, what does loving him mean? We've got a, a problem, I think, in our culture just about what love is. We talked about this at the marriage conference, but for so many of us, love is just this feeling. It's an emotion, you know, where chemicals uh, are, are racing. And so I feel like I love her today. I love the situation, our marriage, whatever. And so the, the idea of feeling plays into what love is. And so that, you know, when we first get married, do you love your wife? Well, I would say yeah, I mean, you loved her. I mean, you, you, you loved him, right? I mean, you, you, you were soulmates. You were, you know, loved everything about him. And, and we did a video and that, that kind of played, Mike and I, where the, you know, premarital counseling where everything was wonderful and glorious. We were in love with each other and goo-goo eyes over each other. And then 10 years later, we were, you know, like cats and dogs fighting. Um, and so that, that's kind of the, the deal. We, we love and we think it's a feeling and, and we think we can fall in and out of love and it's like it doesn't work that way. That's not what biblical love is. That's not what love is, period. Love is a choice. It's a decision. It, it, it's a commitment that I say I'm going to love you. Now, now when, when our spouse yells at us for something stupid and we think, I don't like him right now. I don't like her right now. And, and, and so I can still say, you know what? I don't like you very much right now, but I still love you. And so we all kind of can relate to that if you're married today. Liking and, 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 and being you know, happy with somebody at this moment is different than I'm still committed to you because I love you. I've made that decision to love you through thick and thin, through sickness, through health, through all, of the, all this stuff. I still love you, but I just don't feel like it. And so the promise here is for those who love God. So what does loving God mean? Well, loving God is, is, is maybe hard to grasp other than saying that a love for God occurs and happens when we pass from being an enemy of God before Christ. And then once we place our faith in Christ, we now are characterized by love for God. We love God. And so if we put our faith and trust in Christ, we now love God. It's a character trait of who we are. Now, again, my relationship with God, I, I love him uh, really, really well right now. But then tomorrow something might happen and then my love for him kind of gets apathetic and cold and distant. Because as a human, my love kind of goes up and down for God. Just like it, honestly, it does for each other, doesn't it? I kind of love you a lot now. I kind of don't love you a lot. And why? Because we love based on conditions. You gave me a shoulder rub. So, man, I really love you. You you know, we cooked what you wanted, and so now we love it. Or, you know, you did something nice. You bought me a gift. You, you said nice things. And so as those conditions meet needs in our life, oh, my love for you rises. But if those conditions aren't met, then we feel like our love is diminishing. Now, the difference between love for God is that, yes, there's going to be times when I feel more connected to God. I, I, I love him more, there's going to be distance there because I, I'm going through an issue or whatever and I'm, 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 I'm not, you know, I haven't lost my salvation, uh, but I'm just, uh, maybe sin has crept in and I'm not quite connected to God as I once was. Now the difference there is once you accept Christ, there is a love for God. It is, it is who we are now, okay? And it's in that who we are now that that kind of rises and it kind of fluctuates. And so the idea is we want that love to grow. Uh, the Bible is not saying all things work for good for Christians. Some of the times when their love for God is like high. 
So if your love for God today is, 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 is high, then this promise is for you. You know, God's gonna, you know, bring everything out for good in your life. And, and, and if your love for God today is kind of low, you're kind of far from him, then you can't claim this promise. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is, if you love God, you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are marked by love for God, then this promise is for you. Your love for God, as you, as you grow and, and, and as you seek him, it's going to grow. So you come to the point where you are most satisfied in God. You, you, are, you cherish God above all things. You honor God above all things. You respect God above all things. And you, you, you revere him and worship him above all things. And so that's, that's the point of where we want to be. Some of us think, well, I'm not quite there. Because I love working on my car more than I like working on loving God. I love making money more than I like loving God. I love taking my kids to sporting events more than I love God. And so if that's us, then we need to pray that God breaks and changes our heart. But the reality is we have Christ in our life. There's a love for God there. The promise is for you. Now, the second thing he says is that this promise is for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, here's the key. The key is this promise is not based on you. It's so hard for us because everything in our life is so conditional relationally, but not with God. It doesn't work like that for our salvation. It doesn't work like that for our relationship with him, that love for God as it increases. You know, he doesn't love us more. He loves us unconditionally. There is no, you know, I, I love Trent. I love you more today, Trent, than I did yesterday. We say that to our spouse. I love you more than the day I met you. God, God can't do that because he loves us perfectly now. And so those called according to his purposes. My heart and love for God is, is fickle. It changes, you know. It's up and it's down, as I said. And if, and if this promise was conditioned on my love for God, then I'd be in trouble. You'd be in trouble because it, it fluctuates. I love what John Piper says about this. He says, my heart is fickle and weak. He says, to make such a massive promise, as we just read, rest upon my human love alone would be to make a mountain rest on a marshmallow. (laughs) And that kind of captures my heart today. You know, foundationally, love for God, it's like a marshmallow. I mean, it's weak and and it's strong some days, but most days it's kind of fickle and soft and and he says this promise, this massive promise that God is going to take all the suffering in our life and use it for our good is not grounded or rested upon your love for him. It's grounded and rested upon him and who he is. It's his purpose. It's his will. You are not the key. God is the key. Our life is to demonstrate to the world that knowing Jesus is better than anything. Our life is about glorifying God. So it is his purpose that saves us. It is his purpose and call that sustains that salvation. And it's not based on how good I'm doing at it. And that's a big difference when we look at this promise. So how does God use suffering? How does God use trials for divine purposes, for his purposes, and for our good? Look at James chapter one. If you got your Bibles, you can flip over there real quick. If not, you can just listen, or I think it's on the screen. I think the first thing I want to share, there's many, many things we could talk about, but there's three that I want to point out today. The first thing that God might be trying to show you through this time of suffering or trial is first and foremost to teach you joy and 
produce devotion. Teach you joy, produce devotion. The Bible says here, uh, steadfastness. And I want to talk about that this morning because God uses suffering. He uses problems to teach us what true joy is and how to have a more dedicated and devoted heart to him. James 1 verses 2 to 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, if you read the Bible, you read that and say, that's not cool. <laughs> I'm not, count it all joy. I'm not going to walk around thinking, oh man, I'm so happy that I'm sick. I might die from this. This is awesome. This is ridiculous. You know, my marriage is falling apart. Thank you, Jesus. This is so awesome. That's not what he's calling us to do here. See, joy is much different than happiness, isn't it? I mean, joy is, 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 is so much deeper than happiness. You know, we get together with our friends and we watch UT football. We grill out and we think, oh, I'm so happy we're going to watch UT. They're going to play. And, you know, you go home from work and the, the, the people that are the most happiest to see you are who? The dog. Yeah, the dog. <laughs> the dog's like the most, you know, I walk through the door and it's like the dog's the only one that greets me. It's like, what happened? You know, I used to have people that loved to see me. And it's like, now I just have this mangy mutt. And, and, and so the dog is happy to see us. You know, we're happy, you know, when our team wins. We're happy, you know, when we get, you know, the kind of food that we love. And it's like happiness is so fickle. It's so, you know, in the moment. It's so shallow. We're, I could be happy one second and literally the next sep- second I could be, you know, sad. You know, it's happiness is not what we're after here. Let's not pretend like happiness is the ultimate goal of salvation or happiness is the ultimate goal, goal of life because it's not. Things that made you happy when you were a kid don't make you happy anymore. You know why? Because you change like every day. You know, I, I, we celebrated my daughter's seventh birthday yesterday. She, she turned uh, seven on the 26th, but we did the family and the friend party yesterday. And it's always interesting. You kind of know where people are at in their life, marked by what they get for their birthday, you know? So like when, you're, when you were one, you got for your birthday, you know, certain toys fit for a one-year-old. And as you grow, the birthday presents change, don't they? I, for, for my daughter, she's seven. It's like now she's into like clothes and that's what she asked for. And it's like, clothes it's like what what happened to all the cute little baby dolls and all the little deals that you know it's like what happened to that and then I think about my birthday and now for my birthday you know it's just like gift card you know give me a gift card that's all we care about and it's like we can kind of tell what stage of life we're in by the kind of birthday present some of you ask for like canes and like <laughs> you know like over you know 40 like medical products I don't know so it's 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 different you know, because we change. Different things make us happy as we get older. And so our salvation, what, what we look at when we face suffering, it's about understanding true joy, not happiness. Joy is something much bigger. It's something that, that is supernatural. It's something that comes from God. We'll talk more about it in just a second. He says, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, I like what the New King James Version does with this. Instead of, uh, it's, instead of translating when you meet trials of various kinds, it says when you fall into trials. 
So kind of can go either way on the translation, but I like that one because isn't that kind of what problems feel like? You fall into a suffering or a trial of many kinds. It's like one day, it's like everything is perfect, everything is great, marriage is wonderful, kids happy, it's normal, everything is, is fine, and then out of nowhere, it's like, bam, the news from the doctor comes. You know, the relationship, somebody walks away. And it's like out of left field, out of nowhere, this something happens. And it's like, man, yesterday everything was normal. And boom, now everything has changed. And it's like, yeah. He says, I want you to count it joy when you face trials of many kinds. And these trials, you're going you're gonna to fall into them. And he says there are various kinds. Because all of us today are facing a various kind of trial. Some of you, it's a parenting issue. It's a marriage issue. It's a work issue. It's a financial issue. It's a health issue. We could go around the room and we could find out and it'd take us hours, but, but all of us have something different that we're dealing with today, some more serious in nature, some life or death. And he says, you're gonna face trials of various kinds. And he says, verse three, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete Lacking in nothing. Verse 3, for you know the testing of your faith. Now, you might, might not be an amen person. I'm usually not. I'm usually a mm, kind of person like when I'm listening. Um, but if you're with me on this, it's appropriate to amen this. But I used to hate taking tests in school. Oh, so like one person... Let's try that again. It's, it's, again, it's okay right now to admit this. I used to hate taking tests in school. Yes, thank you. I, I knew it would be like, like that. Okay, I used to hate it. Did you ever like go into the classroom and like, it was always math class for me and they would hand out the test and, and there were days when I would look at the test and I literally had no clue what it was talking about. That ever happened to you? It's like, did we... Did you go over this stuff? Like, I, I don't remember even, even seeing this in X and Y equals what, and there's blanks. And it's like, I don't, I don't care. What is this stuff for anyway? I was more of the, the history and English class guy, but I just remember this happening specifically in calculus. And there was a day we had a pop quiz, which what's worse than the test? You know, the pop quiz. It's like, oh, everything's cool and fine and you're hanging out with your friends and life is good. You're thinking about what's going on after school and you walk in, it's like, put your books away, take out a pencil. This is a pop quiz. And it's like, I hate it. You know, it's like, I hate tests. And, and, and so we take the test and then you get the results back from the test. And I always felt so much more smarter than what the test revealed. <laughs> Did ever happen to you? It's like, you get the test back. It's like, man, I feel so much smarter than what this really showed me. It's biased or something. She didn't cover this or he didn't cover this. So like I, I hated tests, but, but when Jesus talks about tests and trials, when the Bible talks about a test and a trial, a test is really a, a, a loving action. Did you think about that? It, it's, a, it's a loving disciplinary action. Hebrews 12 talks about God disciplines those he loves. He disciplines his children, just like a, a, a good father and mother would discipline their children when they do wrong. God disciplines his children. And so a test is a loving thing because here's what it reveals. The test in school revealed who studied and who knows how to do it and who doesn't. <laughs> the spiritual test 
reveals who is one of us and who is not. Because you know what happens when the spiritual tests of life take place? Separates the men from the boys. You know, the proof is in the pudding. Jesus said, hey, by their fruit, you will know them. Not by their attendance, not by how they dress, not by their appearance. By their fruit, you will know them. John says it like this, that that there was a group of people who left the faith. And everybody's like, why are they leaving the faith? Did they lose their salvation? What's going on? And John says, no, 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 no. They left us because they never really were one of us. If they had been one of us, then, then they would have never left us. And so the reality is when the testing of your faith occurs, your true colors shine through. Are you really a child of God? Are you really committed to the Lord? Do you really believe that God is who he says he is and that he's going to do what he says he's going to do? Because a lot of people face the trial and they'll walk away from God. They'll walk away from the church. They'll walk away from marriage. They'll walk away from everything because in their mind, The center of God's will meant everything is perfect. It's like, no. We do marriage counseling all the time. It's like, I'm I'm, I'm glad we finally committed to stay in the marriage. We talked about this over the marriage conference. But but listen, just because you finally said that you're not going to get a divorce and you're going to stay together doesn't mean that everything's going to be great now. You've got a lot of work to do. You've got a lot of praying, a lot of changing, a lot of issues. So the testing of our faith, he says, produces steadfastness. And that's what he's after. He's after steadfastness. Now this word counted all joy is a financial term. It means to evaluate. So evaluate the suffering, the trial. And in light of who God is, we're going to evaluate that. And and, and in light of who he is, now I'm going to consider it joy. I'm going to examine it as joy. I'm going to count it as joy joy as I go through this. Now, how in the world can we do this? Well, think about it. Steadfastness is a word that, that is, is important when it comes to suffering. The Greek word here for steadfastness is huponomai. And it's, it's an important word that, that uh, is two words kind of put together that we want to see. Um, first, the first part is hupo, which means under. And so this idea of, of, of under something, and, and the second word is monet, which, which means that we would remain or to stay. Say, so th- this idea of steadfastness or huponomai or huponome is the idea that I'm going to have the divine ability to remain under, to stay under the pressure, the tension of the suffering. Now, when we face suffering, when there's a trial, when there's a test in our life, what do we want to do? Get out, (laughs) you know? God, make it be over. Stop it, you know? Fix it fast, you know? Change everything right now. I can't do this, you know? And and so we're begging people to pray for us, and we're begging, and all that stuff is great. But the, the, the goal here of the trial is not happiness. The goal here of the trial is uponome, which means to remain up under. You see, in a trial, what you value oftentimes determines how you evaluate the situation. So whatever it is that I value, 
I, I usually will evaluate the situation through that lens. And so if you value comfort more than character, then a trial will lead you to become very angry and upset at the world. Like God is not for you. If we value the material or if we value the, the physical more than the spiritual, then a trial will cause you to become bitter, not better. What do you value? What's most valuable to you? Comfort or growth? Knowing Jesus or comfort, material possessions? You see, this idea of steadfastness or the idea of remaining under, to stay under, uh, is completely opposite of what our heart and what our, uh, you know, emotions and what we really want to take place during that time of trial is we want it to be over we want to run and God says the whole point of this is I want you to learn how to remain up under this tension and this suffering because here's what I know I've experienced this in my life and if you think about it you could probably pinpoint this in your life that it's through trials it's through problems it's through suffering it's it's through that that funnel, when I am remaining up under that by faith and strength in God, that God infuses into me the godliness, the holiness, the Christian virtues that I never had before that situation occurred. And that is the highway. It, it is the freeway. It's, it's, it, it's the primary means that God uses to grow us to help us become mature and complete and not lacking anything. Now, how many of you guys would say that you lack at least one or two things? Let me see your hands. You, you have a few things that you lack. Good. I'm glad we're honest. We all lack. God says, I don't want you to lack anything. So that's why suffering is coming. That's why suffering is happening in your life. It's going to hopefully cause us to grow closer to Him and dig into Him and, and, and connect with him with more devotion the idea of remaining up under that pressure not running from it one you know we focus so much on me during that situation me 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 it's like you know please pray for me please help me please guide me please me please me everything has to go through us and for us and about us in that time of trial and God's like slow down be patient just wait this isn't about how quick we can get over this this is about teaching you something on a deeper level And we can run from that situation and just kind of quit and run. But if we haven't learned that issue that God wants us to experience, then the next marriage and the next marriage or the next relationship or the next job, we're going to experience the same tension and the same problems because God is trying to teach us something and grow us in a certain area, remaining up under it. Steadfastness. The second thing I want to say this morning Not only is he using it to grow us closer to him, to to provide more devotion and steadfastness uh, in him, but God may be using suffering in your life to advance the gospel. To advance the gospel. Philippians 1, verses 12 and 13. Paul is in prison, and he writes to the Philippian church, and here's what he says. He's in prison for sharing his faith, and it says, But I want you to know, brothers, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out For the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard. I mean, what's happening here is Paul goes to prison. He's suffering. All kinds of things happen to Paul, by the way. He's bit by a snake. He's shipwrecked. 
He's beat up. He's flogged almost to the point of death uh, two or three times. I mean, this guy suffered for the gospel. Here he is in prison. And instead of like, you know, call the lawyers, you know, get me out on bail. Somebody, somebody fix this for me. You know, I'm in here uh, and, and this is wrong. I mean, and this is, this is prison we're talking about here in the, in, in the, in, you know, in the first century. And so it's not like cable TV and, and, you know, three square meals a day. This is a rough environment. And here Paul says, what's happened to me is actually furthering the gospel. Now, how could that be? <coughs> It couldn't happen if he's throwing a pity party for himself. It couldn't happen if all he's thinking about is himself. It happens because he's focused on the gospel. And he says, you know what? This is where God has put me. And there are people that, that he is placing around me in my life that, that potentially need to hear the gospel. And so I need to have my radar on. The antenna needs to go up. I need to be looking. Who is God bringing into my path, to, to cross my path so that I could share the gospel with them? That's what he's thinking. And maybe that's what some of you need to start thinking. How is this trial and this problem, you know, colliding your path with somebody else's path that doesn't know Jesus? And maybe, just maybe, is God intentionally crossing your path so that you might share the gospel with them? Now, think of it like this. Um, Mark Brunette is producing um, a series called The Bible on the History Channel. It starts tonight, and I, I hope you watch it. He's a man of faith, and um, from what I've heard, I've seen portions of it. Uh, it seems like it's going to be entertaining and, and, and biblical and, and, and just really, really good. Now, this is, this is going to be pretty popular across the country. So we could like DVR it and watch it with our spouse, and, and it will be cool, and we can talk about it with our small group. <coughs> Excuse me. Or... Uh, we could do that, uh, but we could also invite other people over to our house to watch it that don't know Christ. Or we could, we could watch it and then talk about it at work. And, and, and we could use this over the next, I think it's five weeks, um, five or six weeks um, that it's going to be on. We could use this as an opportunity to talk about faith. You know, hey, did you watch the Bible on, on History Channel? Uh, and, and could we use it actually to help further the gospel? And maybe just maybe this is, you know, kind of like God saying, hey, this is like, he's, he's, if, if you're a baseball fan or a softball fan, this is not a, a curveball. This is not a 90 mile an hour fastball. He's lobbing one up for us in our culture to say, hey, here it is. Man, knock it out of the park. Talk about it. You've never had the courage to stand up and talk about it. You've never, you know, really crossed that bridge. Here's a, here's a lob right here to knock it out of the park. All you have to do is, hey, did you watch TV last night on the History Channel? Good opportunity. Some of you are going through suffering and, and this is the exact opportunity God has given you to share your faith. Um, there is a, a family that I'm friends with um, in Knoxville. And <clears throat> when I was a student pastor, uh, there were, they had two girls that were in the student ministry. They were both in high school. And uh, her name was Jenny. And uh, Jenny found out that she had cancer. Uh, she had breast, breast cancer uh, several years back. And uh, as it would... Uh, anyone, it, it rocked their family. And their family, their girls were great girls. One, one of them was, was kind of going through some difficult, tough times, and, and this just compounded the problems. And, and so for a lot of you guys, it seems like when it rains, it pours, you know? And that's kind of what they were experiencing in their life. And, and this was pretty serious. It was pretty evasive. Um, they knew that this could be a life or death issue. 
And one of the things about Jenny and one of the things that I admired so much about her as she walked through this, it was, it, it was something that um, really just kind of changed my view of, of suffering and problems because I saw a woman who, who was facing potentially death, you know, cancer, and going through chemo, going through problems, going through all these issues with her girls. And it was like on Sunday morning, you know, she was the one that was worshiping the hardest. She was the one that was like smiling, you know, the biggest. Matter of fact, would you put a picture up of her? This was her when her daughter was in high school. Um, uh, Yeah, obviously she was going through chemo. she, She lost all her hair. And it was like every time I saw her, it was like I wanted to be sad you know, because you don't always know how to act. And it's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And she's like, hey, things are going great. It's like, wait a minute, I'm trying to be really sad. And I don't know how to act right now. And she's all happy. And how's the family doing? Asking me questions. And, and, and she was always talking about some nurse, you know. And so for us, you know, when we're kind of dealing with somebody in that situation, we kind of want to be sad and, and somber, and, and, and sometimes that's the right response. But for her, it was never the right response. She never wanted to, 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 to like, go through that. She always was, was just happy. And so she was, like, singing, and she was, like, singing, you know, the loudest. She was the one that was crying every week. She was the one with her hands raised. She was the one that was, you know, praying on the altar every week. And it was like, you know what? You know, something's happening there. I mean, there, there, she says things about her Jesus that I don't say about my Jesus. And that bothered me. She was experiencing something that, that I hadn't gone through. And she was going through some things that led her to a relationship with God that, that, that some people never get. And, 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 and something was different about her. And, and one of the things that really culminated the, this whole story, I guess, when you hear her tell her story, is that this young girl who was, um, she was the person that was, um, you know, taking her through the cancer treatments and was always there and, and you know, helping her and, and um, doing things for her there at the hospital during, during that time. And, and she was always sharing her faith with that girl, always talking about church, always talking about God. And the girl uh, was resistant at the beginning and was, you know, didn't want to have the conversation. But after several, several months of, of going through the treatment, uh, one day uh, after um, she had received a treatment, they had another deep conversation about faith, and this this woman accepted Christ. And it was it was a phenomenal like story of how how of how God took Jenny through this cancer and and all these problems, and and through that she didn't let it uh, bring her to a place of self pity, and a place of God's not there for me, or a place of this is you know not how it was supposed to be. It, it was all about, oh, let's just keep God center. Let's remain up under this deal and let's be strong and let's see what God is doing. Let's see how God is moving. Let's see what he's teaching us. And I'm gonna trust him. I'm gonna follow him no matter what. And she did. And, and along the way, she shared her faith and people's lives were changed forever. Now maybe, just maybe, that is one of the main reasons why you are going through what you are going through today. And so the question is, are you verbal about your faith? Are you verbal enough? Should it be more on our lips? Should it be more on our minds that we would use what God is taking us through to further the gospel? And I believe that if we did, we'd see lives transformed. Now, the third principle I want to share with you is that maybe, just maybe, you're going through this trial today to bring you back to him. 
to bring you back to him. You know, I know we're all in church and we all look great today. You look fabulous, by the way. Love the hair, love the outfits today. Kids look great. Um, Everything's looking wonderful today. But I know that some of us in this room are far from God. We have every intention of wanting to be close to God, but the reality is you're far from God. And, the, and, and, and some of you are here today because of a trial in your life. It's like this is going on with the kids or the, or the family or the health, and it's like, you know what, we need to get back in church, and this is the best place for you. I'm glad that you're here. But as a result of this trial, maybe, just maybe, God is drawing you closer to him. And so the reality is, are we allowing it to bring us closer to him, or are we allowing it to, to further us from him? Our heart is getting colder. Our, our heart is, is turning a little bit more from him. Or are we really coming to him, to hear from him, to trust him? Now you remember the story of the prodigal. The prodigal son in, in Luke 15, the prodigal takes his, his father's inheritance and, and he runs off and he spends it on wild living. And there comes a point in the life of, the, of this guy who, who finally spent all the money and he is, he is laying in the pig's slop. And he's eating the pig slop. And in the midst of eating that, he, the Bible says that he came to his senses. <laughs> and when he came to his senses, he realized that, you know what, I could go home. Because my, my father takes care of his servants, you know, great. It's much better than what I'm getting right now. <laughs> so he gets up and he goes home and his father is there to welcome him home. Now, when you think about that, it took the pig pen, right, to get this guy to a place of coming to his senses. Maybe some of you are here today, and that's the one thing you'll hear from God. God is bringing you to your senses, and that you will come back to him after a life spent far from him for maybe years, months, weeks, whatever it is, and God is calling you back. Now, as James comes up, I'm going to close with this story because, again, the main point, every experience we face is allowed by God for our good. Now, it's allowed by God. It's not caused by God. God does not call uh, people to do evil things. He doesn't make people do evil things. So some of you, when we talk about suffering or problems, you're like, man, some really bad things have happened to me. I've suffered, I've struggled. Did God cause that? And the answer is no, he does not cause that. What he does is he allows these experiences in our life and he takes these experiences and through his divine wisdom and sovereignty, he allows them to work out for our good as we submit to him, as we love him, as we submit to him and his plan. Now look, look at the Bible. All throughout the Bible, guys, face this. One story is, is, is about a guy named Joseph, and Joseph was a, a guy who was loved by his father. He was the youngest of many brothers, and, and they were jealous of him, and one day they decided just to, just to take him out back and to beat him up and leave him for dead. After they beat him up, they threw him into a pit. One of his brothers had some compassion, a little bit of pity, and ran back to him and said, you know what, we're, we're not going to let you die, we're just going to sell you into slavery. It's like, thanks, appreciate that. I don't know which one I would rather. So he sells him into slavery. He goes to Egypt. In Egypt, he becomes a, a, a pretty good leader. And, 
and he goes to this guy's house named Potiphar, and he runs the house and uh, becomes a prominent as, as, as much as a slave could be prominent at that time and, and trusted. And Potiphar's wife had it out for him. She thought he was pretty good looking, and um, she, you know, tried to woo him and make some attempts to sleep with him, and he rejected every one of them. He was being good, you know? good response. Finally, one day she had had enough. She was ready for him and she goes in and, and uh, tries to sleep with him one last time and he was like, no. And he, he runs out and as he runs out, his cloak falls off and she screams. The guards come in and her story, because she was embarrassed and humiliated, was that Joseph raped me. And so when that happened, he immediately was thrown into prison. It was no like, let's go to call Johnny Cochran. Let's go, you know, to on a trial. It was like, no, nope, you're going to jail. And this is like Egypt, you know, first century jail. Again, no cable, no HBO, like dirt, ugly, you know, maybe food. And, and, and so he goes there for a crime he doesn't commit. And he wasn't just there for six months or one year or two years as if that wouldn't be bad enough. He was there for 17 years. Let that sit in. 17 years in, in an Egyptian first century prison would have been hell. And I can imagine sitting in a prison like that. I can't imagine, but I can, what, what little bit I could imagine. I could imagine me being very frustrated, to say the least. Angry at God. God, what are you doing? This is ridiculous. Earlier on in my life, God, you gave me dreams and, and a vision for my life of, what, of greatness, of what you were going to do through me. And here I am. I'm sitting in a prison. This is ridiculous. My family hates me. I don't know anybody. I've been convicted of a crime I did not commit. God, this is not fair. Eventually, a, a dream comes through Pharaoh. And nobody could interpret it. And, and Joseph does. And that gets... That gets him out of prison. So his get-out-of-jail-free card was a, a correct interpretation of a dream. So boom, he's out, and now he's serving again. He's, you know, he's, he's running things. He's a leader, and he's so talented and gifted. After some time, he becomes basically the right-hand man of the whole country. He's running the whole deal. Respected, revered, loved. And guess who comes knocking on the door when a famine hits the land? <laughs> it's like, hey... I'm your brother. Remember us? <laughs> you know, it's like, sorry about that whole slavery thing and almost killed you thing. They didn't know it was him at first, but they come to the door. Yeah, we need some food. And, and Joseph sees him and he's like, I mean, emotional like anybody would be. Here's the guys that, that did evil against me. They, they did me wrong. You know, they left me for dead. They, they ruined my life. And then it's like, well, wait a minute. Look where I'm at now. Look what God has done. I'm running things. I'm pretty prominent. Things have worked out for me. And he runs them through the ringer a little bit there, which is fun to, to see in the story. But eventually he gives them the food that they need. And, and then he confronts them and, and shares with them who he really is, that he is their brother Joseph, whom they left for dead and sold into slavery. And here's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Joseph says this to his brothers. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. In other words, what, what I have experienced, this evil that you did to me, 
God has turned around for my good and his glory and actually the good of the entire nation because of the evil you did to me. Now, now his heart was not, you know, one of revenge. His heart was one of forgiveness. His heart was God has taken this evil, ugly thing that has, t- has been done to me in my life. He's used it for my good. And that's the promise of God this morning. What others mean for evil, what others mean to cause us suffering, pointlessness, disease, accidents, tragedies, we can trust that God is in control. God is who he says he is and that his promise is real for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. So, so listen, don't you quit and, and, and don't give in to the pressure. Learn to remain up under the pressure and, 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 and the trial of this test in your life and endure as God fills you with his holiness and his goodness and his love. And you'll reach a level and depth of relationship with him that many never know. Hebrews 12, 5 to 12 is a great passage. I encourage you to read this if you're going through a time of, of, of trial now. I want to read verse 11 and 12 as we close. The writer of Hebrews says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. I mean, if you got spanked by your dad when you were a kid, didn't seem very pleasant at the moment, did it? <laughs> it's a very unpleasant experience for us all. You know, this is going to hurt me worse than you. I never believed that and never have worked that way they enjoyed it for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant God says just like your father is going to discipline his children when they do wrong God is going to discipline his children why because he loves us testing reveals where we're at so testing is love but later he says it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. (laughs) Love that. In other words, later it's going to yield peace and and, and a righteousness, a fruit of righteousness. So what that teaches us is that the suffering that you are experiencing today is only for a season. It's only for a time. It's for a time and and a moment in your life and that moment will one day end. It's just a season. And it's tough now, but the season will end and it will yield peacefulness and it will yield by God's grace, a fruit of righteousness. So he says, you know what? Pick up your drooping hands and stop moping around. Self-pity parties. Invite everybody over to your pity party of how awful things in your life is. Nobody's, nobody's gonna disagree with you that what you're experiencing is not cool and it's not nice and it stinks and it's hard but I promise you this self-pity will get you nowhere it's not going to grow you self-pity is not going to uh, win friends for you or, or win compassion for you the Bible says to pick up your drooping hands stand up straight be strong act like a man men Endure it. Learn how to stand up under it by God's grace. He will give you strength like you have never experienced before. So let me ask you, is God calling you back to him? Are you far from him? 
And is it time for you to submit to him in your life completely and fully? Is there somebody in your life God's brought into your life, but you've, you've let self-pity or, or maybe your ego get in the way of you sharing the gospel with them? The list of excuses are, are in the millions for you. Is it time for you to lay that down? Is God trying to teach you something, trying to grow you in this area? And is it time for you to say, you know what? Okay, I'm going to get out of the self-pity and I'm going to actually see that, that God is for me. God is for you. He's not against you during this time. He's for you. And he wants us to experience life to the fullest. And sometimes that means a trial. No matter what your decision is today, no matter what God is speaking to you today, I pray that it will be something. I pray that you'll, you'll move closer to him in whatever way he's speaking to you today, in a more powerful way, in a more real way for your life and your faith today. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Lord, we thank you that you do bring trials into our life and that those trials aren't just pointless. They are for your glory and for for your purpose. And Lord, we pray that even though this is a a truth that we, we can accept today, it's always hard to embrace. It's always hard to apply. But today, Father, I pray that you will indeed allow us to apply it and live it. May it challenge us and may we see your love through the trial in our life. May we embrace you in a fuller way today. We praise you and we love you. We give you this moment in Jesus' name. Amen.